welcome. <laughs> Roaring introduction uh, to episode uh, three of Hackmouth, the one show on the internet where we're trying to be positive about pop culture and movies and filmmakers and filmographies and everything entertainment. Uh, there could be room for Hackmouth to expand into other other mediums of of entertainment. Uh, with me, as always, my co-host, close personal friend, Adam Griffin. <sighs> it's it's an audio podcast. You didn't just see Griff wave. <laughs> Coming in hot tonight, folks. Uh, <laughs> this week, woo, Mark's going to listen to this and be like, you what guys the are, hell? You want to re-record that introduction? I'm going to have to take another shot at it, guys. Come on. Oh, we're doing it live. Oh, I uh, can't believe I referenced a 20-year-old meme. That's pitiful. At any rate. It's also part of it, you know. Yeah. You, you yep. come for the positivity, you stay for the 20-year-old memes. <laughs> yeah. Everything else. Middle-aged, middle-aged dad jokes. Uh, so this week, um, we are talking about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So uh, as with all of our shows, uh, if you are... If you're here to listen to this and you're like, I don't know if this is a show that I should check out. Uh, oh, well, number one, it is. But if you're hoping to come through, like come out of this without being spoiled <laughs> by anything, uh, this is a spoiler ridden um, series. This is a spoiler ridden episode. We will tell you everything that happened. If you're like me and that stuff doesn't bother you, then cool. Uh, enjoy the next hour or so. Uh, Griff and I breaking down the character and story and the craft behind the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If you're somebody who uh, does not like spoilers, um, go watch the show. Go binge it. It's all available out there on the Disney Plus. And then come back and uh, listen to me and Griff talk about this. So, uh, as soon as this, as soon as the, the season finale ended, possibly series finale, I don't think we know one way or another about that yet. Yeah. Uh, I got some text from Griff. <laughs> <laughs> that ended with, I really want to talk about this show. <laughs> and all right, well, let's, let's talk about this show. Um, so if you listen to our WandaVision episode, um, we rehashed, maybe we revisited a lot of stuff happening in the MCU. Um, we're going to try not to, to relitigate or uh, reiterate any of those, those conversations tonight. Um, and just talk about what this show added um, and, and maybe focus more on this. So, um, when, when the series first started, I think after the first or second episode, I texted you Griff and I said that this show scratches a very different itch than what WandaVision does. Right. Did, right. Yeah. WandaVision leaning pretty heavily into the, the super, uh, supernatural and paranormal stuff in the MCU. And, uh, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, pretty much just a straight up, <laughs> action show yeah uh, and it's interesting that the, the next one is going to be loki right so you know, we get some aliens so the third the third part of the mcu triangle i was trying to remember that the quote from from sam uh at the beginning of the series about it's one of the big three right and that that really does sum up the mcu so this this show really scratched a different itch for me um i thought it was pretty good like i liked some of the big character character moments here but uh griff what would you think? Yeah, um, if if WandaVision was Marvel testing out their 
experimental qualities and, and tendencies to really see how much they could push boundaries of their storytelling before kind of veering back into their more traditional methods. And this is that straightforward, uh, you know, grounded type adventure mm-hmm. that they more or less have kind of made their bread and butter yeah. over the past 12 years. Yeah. Um, just, you know, just refined a bit more for the television experience. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because uh, the same patterns of reception <laughs> were, were kind of happening with the aftermath of each episode mm-hmm. uh, that happened with WandaVision. Um, I, once again, you know, it's one of those 3 a.m. specials where uh, I watch at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. to not deal with anybody's crap the next day. <laughs> yep. Uh so, you know, about 345, 347, 350, whatever. I just, you know, go back, you can go back on Twitter now, uh-huh. you know, because I, I actually do like Twitter as much as I care, complain about it. <laughs> and, you know, I sit there and I scroll and, you know, a lot of the same responses are still uh, wonderful exaltations about certain characters mm-hmm. or, well, I don't know, it's kind of mid and nothing really happened. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you know, I guess this is just a running theme with genre entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, we're either going to be talking about the material itself or the response to the material. Yeah. And like every big genre property these days, I think people more or less talk about the responses rather than what the material is actually doing. Yeah. I don't, I think people have forgotten how art is supposed to work. <laughs> you know, uh, like the, the billboard that went up, we're recording this on uh, April 24th. So the billboard that went up like yesterday, the day before <laughs> somebody with too much money had uh, begging Marvel to bring Tony Stark back. Like that stuff drives me insane. And so seeing, uh, seeing some of the the reactions over the past 24 hours now uh it's kind of baffling um like it it was a it was a perfectly good show i I think sometimes people people put too much uh on like expecting that they're gonna get this perfect thing right you know because that's just not how it works yeah (laughs) right right um the people who wanted this show to be like a super conservative just straight up action piece. Like, and so we get what, like six weeks of just explosions. Like that's boring, you know? And and like Disney is smart enough to know that that's, that's not going to make a ton of money, but like, you're not going to get subscribers to the network for that. Um, if, if we get a new captain America through six weeks of just blowing up terrorists, right? Like the, the era of 24, I think is over. (laughs) Right. Um, and then the people who are really mad about like the show didn't go into enough depth on like the symbolism behind having a black Captain America, and you know Sam's speech about that was good, um, and having Isaiah in there was good, but it, it could have gone a lot further, and and everything like that. Um, yeah, like that's true. I mean, granted, but, but yeah, like. And- Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> like we, we also, throughout history, we know the actual result of that, of the other 
half of that speech that everybody so-called wants. Yeah. You know, and it is not a good result because it usually involves an assassination. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, like, read. <laughs> oh, I did appreciate when, when he goes to see Isaiah in the last episode and Isaiah said, like, you're no Malcolm or Martin. I like that they said Malcolm first. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like I, I think that's about as much that plus the, the shield moment with with John Walker, Walker murdering somebody in, in in broad daylight with the shield and the blood on the shield. Like, that's the most symbolism that you're going to get from a, a multi-trillion dollar <laughs> media conglomerate. Like, right. That has a, a contract with the Pentagon to not portray the American military in a negative way. Yeah. Like, that's as much as you're going to get. And if you want that science fiction, like we saw with WandaVision, right? And we talked about this with Star Wars, and we will with our upcoming Star Wars animation episode. Uh, if you want... How do I want to put this? So just like six weeks of blowing stuff up would be boring. Uh, right. character, like Characters have to have flaws. If, you, if you're watching somebody who is a, a, this enlightened 21st century... I hate to use the word woke because it's like driven into the ground and is meaningless now. Yeah. That, that was a sense that I, I got that a lot of people wanted like that. And so if the first episode is Sam and Bucky are now like perfect, then what do you do for, for the next five weeks? And like, where's, where do they go moving forward? Cause that's the other thing, right? Like these shows, all of this, the characters have to be imperfect at the end to continue to grow. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise everybody is Steve Rogers going back in time, uh, which is also like not a perfect move. <laughs> and it's part of the point of <laughs> him taking the trip in the first place. Cause yeah. Steve Rogers isn't perfect. You isn't know, perfect. Yeah. have like this selfish thing to go back and, and live out his life and presumably ignore all kinds of stuff. Though we have our own kind of, uh, <laughs> spec script and, in, in text logs about like what, what, what a Steve Rogers, like, secret agent show look like in 1970s sort of American James Bond thing. Um, but yeah, like it can't end with everybody like all hunky dory and on the same side and all the racists got blown up because then what's going to happen in the next one? You know what I mean? Like you're doing it again. You're just doing it again. It becomes a sitcom and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, it becomes an episode of GI Joe at that point. The, <laughs> yeah. car- the cartoon, not the, uh, not the movies, but um, <laughs> I was going to say like you fall into the trap that so many other. So I'm thinking about like Buffy and Angel and those types of shows. Uh-huh. Um, the like the DC shows too, like you know Arrow and and the Flash and and everything. You fall into this trap where like next season the big bad has to be even bigger and badder, right? Until now you're fighting gods, and then yeah. <laughs> once it's, it's, it's like the kiss of death. <laughs> for a superhero series like once you're fighting a god then there's nothing you can do next season to top that so right. um the end you know yeah oh yeah yeah that's that's how the blade movies got messed up um so, so. <laughs> so in a sense like this this was perfect like they if the purpose of the show was to like disney or marvel recognizing that like we have a a ton of money invested in the idea of Captain America. We need to have Captain America like in some way, shape or form. Then I think it was perfect yeah. to accomplish that. There yeah. were bumps along the way, um, but it's an action show. And I don't think action shows are supposed to be like, it's not the kind of programming where I think 
like it doesn't hold up to a lot of scrutiny. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Action shows are, you know, part of the charm of action shows is the fact that the exposition is going to be clunky and delivered in such a manner where you go, well, that doesn't make sense. Yep. Um, You know, and I think that, I think that we, we miss a lot of the actual work that this show is doing Mm-hmm. And get it by getting hung up on what we think we're entitled to get. Yeah, like you know, like like Sharon Carter's story. Um, number one, uh, it's still in progress. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't wrapped up in this. And number two, we still don't know if this is actually her still in work mode, mm-hmm. or if this is actually you know her taking her claim in all of this. Yeah, or if it's even Sharon herself, because we got that whole little thing known as scrolls. Yeah, so which is what I thought was going on when she first took off that face. Yeah, at the end, I was like, "Oh snap!" <laughs> like this just got this just got a whole like they added a whole new level. But once it was just like whatever kind of fancy false face that she was wearing. Yeah. Um, but her like her her look at the end when she's reinstated as an agent, like that was that was a phenomenal scene. You know, I mm-hmm. thought she, I thought, um, she crushed it. And then like, yeah. we don't know who's on the other end of the line when she's walking out, um, insinuating that she's going to act as this kind of inside rogue agent and start passing along weapons and secrets and whatever else. Right. Like, who is she talking to? Yeah. We don't know how deep her cover is or even if it's a cover because it's, yeah. it, this is still, you know, a, an action thriller espionage show yeah. at the end of the day. So, um, I, I think, what I what I came away with after this whole run is that we saw many different versions of what the position of Captain America is mm-hmm. in the Marvel Universe yeah. at this moment. Um, either it's wounded and in progress, like Bucky, mm-hmm. um, and you know, un- unsure of, of his place as mm-hmm. well. Um. Either it's the picture of entitlement, uh, you know, with with uh, John Walker, yeah, or it it becomes an ideal to find a cause for, but not necessarily embody in a way that people would prefer, yeah, as in Sam, yep, you know, because Sam takes this role as his own ideal and his own sense of hope as to what the scope of his work can be Mm -hmm. and not necessarily this uh, authoritative position, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I did like what they, what they did with Sam's character because I was never like, he was never somebody that I got really excited about in the movies. Mm -hmm. Um, He always felt like kind of a, also ran i guess to me like 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 it's a cool visual like i like the wings and everything and it it added a a, another cool dimension for like big set pieces and stuff but like the character i was never really like a huge it just didn't didn't do anything for me but like leaning into this whole like military counselor thing um and his scenes with um oh aaron kellyman what was her name I've already heard uh, Carly. Carly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morgenthal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I thought those scenes were were 
pretty incredible. Um, I like that. That was something that was kind of hanging over the show. Um, the MCU kind of fumbling in the dark a little bit to, to address mental health, which they've done in the past. I mean, that was a, a big part of, of Iron Man's characterization, um, especially in the, in the second, I guess like half or maybe second third of his, um, his total story arc. Like I, I enjoyed that and it made, um, it made the character work good and it added like a dimension to Captain America that I think really works now that we never had right. with Steve Rogers that like Captain America actually gives a shit about you. <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. Um, which we never had with, like I said, we never had with Steve. He was always like, he was always going to be the hero to do the right thing or whatever he thought the right thing was, I guess. Um, in, in a way that like this show cast as like, it's the right thing to do for middle-class white America <laughs> in the 1950s and beyond. Um, or I suppose now like two thousands and beyond. Um, and like that last fight scene with Carly where Sam is like, I'm not going to hit you. I don't think we've ever had something like that. No, not, not, in, not in that scope. Um, yeah. and so that coupled with like the civil rights stuff or the references at least, um, always uncomfortable when big properties invoke, <laughs> you know, invoke this stuff. Um, but like coupled with that, I thought it was pretty on the nose, like what they were trying to do. And I thought that for what it is, I, I thought that it worked and I'm excited to see what Captain America for, um, what they can pull off there, especially because, um, like we know it's not going to be all on Anthony Mackie to carry it. Right. You know? Yeah. Since they established in, in Civil War that like a Captain America movie is basically going to be like an, an Avengers movie in some way. Yeah. Um, and if we get more Bucky or if it's now Sam as Cap interacting with whomever the Avengers are now. Um, yeah, because I think they, they made a point of saying that the Avengers are, as we knew them, they're done. Yeah. Because, you know, and I think it... it it leaves a good question to kind of fill and to see how how uh, Marvel's going to set things up in the future. Because now the question becomes: Okay, after everything that happened, after you know Thanos snapping the universe and half of it going away, after losing billions of uh, uh, world citizens, do you reform the Avengers again? Mm-hmm. And if you don't if you take too long in making this decision what fills that void and if something does fill that void other than people that you know are coming together for the right purpose how good or bad is it and we're starting to see that if you know if the 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 people we know and have seen as being you know good since it's not really good or evil anymore it's all you know moral choices at this point you know, yeah. if if uh, if the wrong grouping fills this void, mm-hmm. how bad are things going to get? Yeah, and so that's where I I kind of suspect this might be like a completely out there theory. Um, but I I kind of wonder if this show wasn't like a a way to do almost like a backdoor not even introduction, but like laying the groundwork for the X-Men to come in. Um, and specifically with, with Zemo mm-hmm. and 
I mean, I don't remember if this was something in in Captain America and the Winter Soldier or not, or in and that's not even the right film, right? Um, in his previous stuff in the MCU, uh, Zemo's mission to rid the world of super soldiers. Yeah. Uh, that's and like the thing at the end, which was weird and like a, a plot hole that I struggle with. <laughs> like how did Zemo get to the raft when he was surrendered to the, to the Wakandans? Oh, well they said they were going to take him to the raft. Oh, they didn't. Okay. Yeah. I, then. Okay. <laughs> like, this is, yeah. Yeah. Um, said that they were they were going to take them to the okay. raft. Okay. All right. Then I, I apologies, MCU. Um <laughs> when when Zemo's butler blows up <laughs> the car with this with the remaining um super soldiers in it. And then Zemo does the Jim Halpert look at the camera <laughs> in his cell and is like very clearly had his hand in it. Um I thought that was like a good way to set up bringing in the X-Men for the the purpose of like, if Zemo and people like Zemo, whatever Hydra remnants there are or whatever, um, are anti-super soldier because of this like unnatural modification to the human genome and human biology, then wouldn't this be a, a, an interesting way to set up, introducing the mutants into this into this version of the marvel universe yeah Um, and and creating like some kind of immediate conflict and i think it would be easy right like the people who got uh returned some of them are mutants now Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah (laughs) the end you know and and the baron zemos of the world like in addition to being mad that they had moved on for five years and and like whatever that looks like for society on earth um, now having to deal with what, like three and a half billion people suddenly reappearing. Um, mm-hmm. And now some of them having like all kinds of strange and incredible mutations. Um, I think like the tension is right there. You know, the, the yeah. conflict is right there for, for this to happen. Um, but I, I don't know. Like I said, this could be like a completely harebrained <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, uh, well, yeah. Um, well, Zemo points to the future use of uh, Thunderbolts. Um, and what happens with that is it's actually the, it's pretty well set up in the show now that what they're setting up forward is that it's really a group of altruistic villains who are posing for the public as heroes, mm-hmm. but still doing all that fire stuff on the back end. Yeah. So for the cameras, they're heroes. They're, they're public faces of freedom and justice and all that jazz. But secretly, they're all reformed criminals still doing dirty work. Mm-hmm. So Zemo was the, the leader, and uh, they're backed. Uh, well, the Contessa, Julia Louis Dreyfus's character, is actually Madame Hydra. She becomes Madame Hydra in the comics. Okay, so they're setting up a couple pieces there that they can use, you know, however they choose. So it can be, you know, it can be either be the Thunderbolts or uh, they had another run as the Dark Avengers, but that's a little too on the nose <laughs> for even even for you know a, comic, a live action comic book property. Yes. So uh, there's lots of different things, but what I was thinking, like X Men and Mutant wise, is again you kind of see. Uh, 
we have another look at uh, the formation of a movement in the MCU and uh, the kind of backlash that it can cause. Because, you know, what was Magneto in the comics? He was a mutant terrorist. Mm -hmm. So they're already kind of playing with uh, established tropes and everything to set the groundwork again if they choose to go that route. Um, And it would be interesting to see uh, the X-Men established in an approximation of real time Mm -hmm. these days. Um, Especially spinning out all this because, you know, everything's still in flux. So, Yeah, Yeah, I just, I mean, I don't see a way for them to do it that's not going to feel like Oh yeah, they were here all along, and we just never pointed the camera at them, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. Like that's that's especially with what happened in WandaVision. Like, you, it's just not going to fly. Like, it yeah. has to be like in real time. And I think that would be great. You know, I mean, it retcons some stuff with like Logan or whatever, but that's fine. People are people can move on with their lives. <laughs> well, the fun part with Logan, it's not like we've that, got 20 years of Wolverine movies that people can just turn to instead, right. like yeah. for their established Canon. But what do I know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, the fun part with Logan is that that movie takes place in 2029. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so we're, 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 <laughs> we're eight years out <laughs> until they can pull that call back officially. Yeah. Well, actually, no, we're not, we're not eight years out. We are six years out because Marvel Universe is in 2023 now. Okay. So we've got a couple of years, and that's perfect development time for them to yeah. get, their, get their stuff ready. So yeah. all that stuff can still count somehow, which is fantastic. So Yeah, yeah that would be cool. Um, and it's just a matter of time, right? Like, obviously, it's gonna ha- it has to happen, and they're, they're sitting on, like, a gajillion dollars. <laughs> the only way, the only way they could possibly make more money would be to have like Batman and Superman show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I guess it depends on which Batman it is. <laughs> but even then, uh, bring out Adam West, DH Adam West, and you're going to make a billion dollars <laughs> for it. <laughs> yeah. It would be amazing. But, um, so what else do we want to talk about this show? I thought it was interesting that, uh, like unlike WandaVision, the setting here didn't matter at all, with the exception of the boat. Uh, right. Everything else <laughs> was everything was lit the same. Um, the only way you could really tell any differences was based on like very obvious architectural choices, um, at least in the buildings and like the generic, you know, Central Asian, Middle Eastern, wherever city that the Flag Smashers are in. Right. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 like Bucky and Sam just go from like point A to point B, like <laughs> like that. Like, I may as well be down the street. <laughs> it, it's a it's a shrewdly budgeted global thriller adventure. Is yes. what we got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Um, but the boat, I thought the like of everything that they could have picked, having having Sam's family family boat. Um, be the the one setting that actually mattered and the one thing that we kind of see and change and, and have his connection with his family. Um, I, I, I don't, do they even say where they, where they're at? Uh, Louisiana. That's right. Yeah. Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. Because the part where they're training with the, like the pads on the trees and like playing catch with the shield. 
Like that, that was like very clearly Louisiana. I thought, um, like, but beyond that, like there's the setting didn't matter. Um, and so that put like a ton more pressure on Sam and Bucky right. to carry the show. Um, and I think, it, I think it was great. Like as a, as a six episode long, a six hour long character study, uh, into these two guys who in that, in that scene where they're, and that kind of impromptu therapy session <laughs> <laughs> yelling at each other. Um, and I love that. I love that line. I think it was in the first episode where they're, they're sneaking into the one warehouse and Sam is like making fun of him for going to Wakanda. <laughs> and they're like, are you the black Panther now? And I, I, I like I winced for a second and I was like, Oh no, like, <laughs> What are they going to do? Right. And he was like, the white wolf, actually. And <laughs> Sam was like, wait, what? <laughs> yep. that, that was that was great. Um, yeah. Like, I, I'm surprised, too, that there has been more made out of out of Bucky being the, the only character in the MCU who was able to go to Wakanda and then was also able to, and I'm thinking about this in terms of just, like, the race issue that's, uh, like, very much a part of this, like the civil mm-hmm. rights thing that that... Bucky Barnes is the only white guy to go to Wakanda and the only white guy really visible uh, at Sam's family. Yeah. Um, and in Baltimore too, when they go to see Isaiah. Yeah. Um, I thought that was, that was a really interesting, like a really cool character choice that is, that is Bucky who in the, is like in the same situation that Steve was in, but with a whole lot more baggage um, and that he was, he is the white character who is able to, mm-hmm to not necessarily well i mean he was accepted right because in the in the party at the end he's like playing with the kids with the cake and stuff and he's he's flirting with sam's sister which was (laughs) 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 was phenomenal yeah (laughs) bucky you dog (laughs) (laughs) just just nailing away just yeah (laughs) and like they didn't but maybe and maybe the reason that people haven't made a bigger deal out of that is that the show didn't make a big deal out of it right you know, they well, let, they let people okay. get mad about all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the, it's uh, perceived mishandling of various social issues, but like the one thing that it does right in terms of like, I don't want to say like pie in the sky racial harmony, but like they're dudes hanging out together and it's cool. Yeah. You know? Well, I think they, they, they made a very good point of having Bucky, you know, kind of come to realization with his position that he he wanted Sam to do, you know, to take up the shield as a result of Steve's wishes. Mm-hmm. But he didn't really come around to Sam's viewpoint about it until later. And when he did, he apologized. Yep. And it was genuine that we saw it on screen. Yeah. And once he apologized, man, like the tension between them was gone. Yep. You know, it's one of the rare times where that kind of empathy and understanding was shown on screen and it mattered and it wasn't hand waved away. Yeah. You know, and it had to be Bucky of all the characters who can apologize. Like I'm, I'm running through quickly, like all the other guys, they wouldn't, you like, they would not, they don't, they, they wouldn't, 
you know, the only the only thing I can think of of a character ever apologizing is the very beginning of of Iron Man's arc where he realizes that selling weapons was bad. <laughs> yeah. And he now has to, d- to dedicate his life to, you know, clean energy and and cleaning up, you know, all the messes that he he made as a, as a weapons broker. I mean, we don't see it with anybody. I guess the only other character who might be po- who could possibly have that realization would be Loki, right? Yeah. And who's not a hero either, right? And and Bucky's not a hero, and that's why it, it got, had to be Bucky. And the fun part about Loki is that's not even the Loki that we know. Yeah, that's not Loki with the character development. <laughs> yeah, so Loki's going to be a complete monster, and yeah. right back to being like the total <laughs> asshole he was in the in the first Avengers movie. And that's going to be great. I, I'm fully expecting him to just chew up scenery all over the place. I can't wait for Owen Wilson to be in the show. By the way, fantastic. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, you're right. The Loki that died, that Thanos killed, may have, may have apologized or may have been capable of empathy. But right. Nobody else. Nobody else. I don't. I I really don't think. Yeah. Um, and it's Bucky who's carrying this weight of all the violence that he caused, uh, torturing himself from all, with all the violence that he's caused, and his like the the simultaneous like I need to find redemption, but I also don't want to find redemption kind of thing. I right. thought it was really cool, and that was that also lended uh, uh, some weight, I guess, to his his ability to like finally see. Sam's point of view. I found it very interesting that uh, well, I applaud the fact that they changed the title card at the end of the episode. Yeah. But I found it interesting that they didn't change Bucky's to the White Wolf. Yeah. So we have so that that kind of that kind of set me off that okay we were going to have more character development with him to get him to a point where I get uh, and I might be phrasing this like a little bit on the nose, but he, he's going to get to a point where he can shed that, that winter soldier personality completely. I guess once this business with Zemo mm-hmm. runs its full course and then do we see, do we get uh Captain America and the white wolf as a series in a couple of years? You know, once this, once this stuff, once they take it through, uh, whatever the next Captain America movie is going to be called and then do all yeah. this stuff there. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, I I didn't even think about that. Um, I'm not familiar with Bucky's like arcs in the comics, but the thought I just had was like maybe that's something that they save for whenever Black Panther two comes out, right? They yeah. don't know how they're going to handle Chadwick Boseman's um, death. They said he won't be replaced, um, which is the right move. So the question is like, is it going to be Shuri who steps in? Um, and then we have we have Bucky there kind of supporting her as the new Black Panther or I know there's there are a lot of people who are who are clamoring for uh a killmonger resurrection. <laughs> um and have and that that would be really, really fascinating to see um Killmonger and and Bucky um yeah. on screen together to see how they would interact. Um and kill like and speaking of like uh 
the way that the MCU kind of crafts social movements as villains. I thought this was really interesting that the Flag Smashers and Killmonger were basically on the same side and that both were right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and it's funny because Zemo made the point of saying, you know, the end result of people, uh, uh, superpowered people in these positions is that they become supremacists. You know, and it's mm-hmm. the, the irony there is the fact that you have a fascist saying this because yeah. you know because you know Zemo was a fascist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we have to keep that in mind too when we're talking about him. So, you mean you it's know, not a funny European guy who dances in the club. <laughs> <laughs> Man, let me tell you, it was so weird because everybody's like, "I can't believe they made me like Zemo." It's like, well, they're not making you like Zemo. That's the point. Yeah. Zemo himself. Zemo's a narcissist and a fascist. Yeah. So of course he knows when to turn on the charm. You know, you, you're you're in on the whole game as well when you're watching. You know, I think yeah. <laughs> if people interrogated their personal lives. They would realize that they actually like a lot of narcissistic fascists <laughs> and haven't, just haven't realized it yet. <laughs> you know, like like this stuff is rough, man. I mean, yeah. but like, but and. and but like that's another thing too with like separating art from reality is that it's okay it's okay to like Zemo you know yeah it's, like, a, it's, it's a fictional his, character yeah. his purpose is to be entertaining like it's it was funny to see like the the part on the plane where they're like, I can't remember what they were arguing about <laughs> but it was it was great and he like he he was written because he's a fictional character right. <laughs> this mm-hmm. was a documentary right written so well to like because sam and bucky aren't on the same side yet and he just knew how to push their buttons like he he read the tension between them he knew that that sam wasn't down with the plan to break him out and he he said everything to make them mad just just mad enough uh right. kill him or throw him out of the plane um that was wonderful. That 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 trouble man discussion. You know, Sam, the African American experience is like, wait, what? <laughs> oh no, because <laughs> he said that, and I'm like, oh shit. I, I I've worked with people like this who would just bust this crap out in, in the lunchroom or whatever, and it's like, you dick. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to be talking like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it really was like. Zemo embodying like a Facebook a Facebook post about like my black friend. <laughs> they, they made that a character and it was it was fantastic. And in the part where like they they go undercover, which ended up being a throwaway thing, but I thought it was still funny. And they go undercover and Bucky's undercover disguise is the winter soldier, and then Sam's undercover <laughs> disguise is like a seventies pimp character. Well, that's like triple layered because Smiling Tiger, not only is Smiling Tiger um, an actual Marvel Comics villain, but um, uh, in the 70s, before they uh, fiddled with his origin, Sam Wilson was known as Snap Wilson, uh-huh. and he was a pimp. <laughs> that's fantastic yes (laughs) wow 
I had no idea. See, that's that's why we got to listen to this show because if you're <laughs> like me and you are completely ignorant to the comic world, uh, that's why we have Adam Griffin here <laughs> translate <laughs> and fill us in on these Easter eggs um, that were probably obvious to everybody in the world but me. <laughs> and uh, and Madripoor is also a uh, from primarily from the X Men, mm-hmm. so that whole spot is is full of mutant shenanigans so it was them introducing it was very cool because the princess bar mm-hmm. is where wolverine hangs out when he's in magipur so they really uh snuck in some fun references throughout the whole show so there's another way then that this could have been like a backdoor introduction to to the x-men right like yeah. you completely see there being like whatever episode one of the X-Men series is, and we see Wolverine from his POV watching <laughs> these three idiots come in and like almost immediately screw up this, this undercover op, and then Wolverine having to like fight his way out at the same time. Like It writes itself. There's your, yep. there's your first ten minutes of the show, and you don't... like You can have him under a hood or something and then at the end of the scene like the claws come out and then you're like oh shit it's wolverine that's the te- that's the trailer yep. <laughs> right there um and then you get you know all of the fan excitement about like oh my god wolverine was in the same place as, as zemo and, and sam and bucky what could have happened <laughs> yeah tons of fun um it was a very good choice that bucky kind of pulled a favor uh, with Wakanda mm-hmm. and got them in on the construction of Sam's uh, wings and new suit. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that uh, when he was training, during the, tra- the training montage scene, that, I, I mean, in real life, we know that like there's a there's a limited time frame on every character in the MCU, right? Because right. they're going to get old. <laughs> You know, yeah. and I don't, I don't know how old Anthony Mackie is. I don't know anything about his contract details or anything like that. Um, I don't know what he's what he's resigned, what he's promised in terms of like number of films or, or anything. But we know that it's a limited window, no matter what. Right. So with but with Steve Rogers, like he is has the super serum. He's I don't I almost said Superman, but basically Superman, right? Yeah. Um there's no amount of training that Sam Wilson can do to fight off time. Right. You know? And so I was like, I was like watching that scene and like, I appreciated that they, that they basically showed him leveling up, you know, Mm -hmm. that he was for everything that he could do as, as the Falcon, like he knew he had even like something that Steve Rogers made seem so effortless, like throwing the shield around that he couldn't do. He didn't have the timing. He wasn't strong enough all of that he didn't have the the agility or the dexterity so he goes through the the big training montage uh and now he's he can do it um but i'm curious like how does that hold up you know like the the vibranium wings i think help and and presumably vibranium or or otherwise shuri enhanced uh red wing yeah definitely um so now he has he has the shield and the wings and and everything else to kind of almost in a way like merge him with Iron Man in, in right. some ways. Um, but I'm I'm curious to see how they handle how they handle his his arc overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and they 
they did a lot of groundwork um, with him being aware of his own mortality and his position. Yeah. Um, that speech with Isaiah, uh, him talking to Isaiah at the end, man, I tell you, all I can think about, um, and this kind of this goes for John Walker as well. I thought about the death of Captain America storyline mm-hmm. from uh, the early aughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was spinning out of when Ed Brubaker uh, brought back Bucky as a Winter Soldier. And by the way, Ed Br- Brubaker deserves a shit ton of royalty money mm-hmm. for uh, his involvement, him and Steve Epting, his involvement in, mm-hmm. in bringing the Winter Soldiers here. Forefront. So hopefully Marvel and Disney pay that man. Pay them both, actually. Uh, but um, that the Captain America storyline is the fact that you know, Steve went to, to the wall to uh, get Bucky back, you know, get his mental faculties back, you know, mm-hmm. and was assassinated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this thing with John Walker, right? Once they, once he got back to the States, I'm thinking, oh, does he get capped on the steps like Steve in the comics? And you know if he's still if he's going to be working as the U.S. agent, mm-hmm. uh, presumably as this public face, whatever the Contessa is planning, mm-hmm. if he screws up, is he going to get capped? You know, Sam is aware of the fact that he even said, "Shit, I might even die." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about how this stuff um, isn't on the nose, uh, you know, or doesn't do what they want as far as how far they go with uh, the social implications of everything. Mm-hmm. Again, it's that plot point. It's like, yeah, we're dealing with, you know, comic book adaptations, mm-hmm. but do you really want this stuff to go as far as they did in comic books? <laughs> do, you, do you really want this stuff to go as far as it's gone in real life? You know, yeah, that too. You know, not even you know, <laughs> you know, as, as this as this show uh, sniffs around the idea <laughs> of uh, uh, the <laughs> decolonization, <laughs> right, uh, and uh, ending capitalism. Yeah, like all these major, 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 major revolutionary movements that are happening currently and have been happening uh for the last century or well, longer uh do you really like i i just i don't know like i've been i've been studying this stuff a lot for work and mm-hmm. i think of people new <laughs> yeah like a fraction of what has happened in american history and world history with, with how these movements come about and how they they end or change I think people would be horrified <laughs> yeah. if the MCU, uh, I mean, good. I mean, good for them for creating this ambiguity, right? Right. Yeah. Um, making, uh, making, um, uh, Oh, I forgot her name already. <laughs> God damn it. Carly. Carly. Yes. Okay. I gotta take notes. Oh my God. This is going to be like a running theme. My, my totally fried, inability to remember people's names. Carly, making Carly so sympathetic. 
Um, I thought it was like fantastic. And you know, I heard people complaining that she died and, and Zemo got like the white man gets <laughs> the good, the good ending, even though he's in prison, but you know, um, but she, she died like, tragically and like, she's a martyr <laughs> and that's how this yeah. shit works, you know, like, and, and like the guy and, and whatever, I don't know if it was the U S army or whatever saying, you know, one world, one people before, uh, locking up the remaining super soldiers like car before Carly died. She said that if any, if we die here today, the movement is strong enough that it will, it will continue. Yeah. Um, and that's a big theme right. <laughs> in, yeah. in, in, in movement history, you know, and, and as evidence that like maybe the flag smashers, even though that name is, I still think not the, Best, but I, it, it does what it has to do for the purpose of the story. Yeah, uh, like they made her, they made the villain sympathetic. They don't do that very often. Right. I mean, they they did it with Killmonger, uh, in a way. Um, but like, you don't watch any like very few of the other ones and say like, you know, right. yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> what what uh, I think what people miss, and I mean, and this happened with Killmonger. You remember all, all the, Kill, the Killmonger was right memes? Yeah. All that stuff. You know, some people took that literally, you know, as in, you know, they took the impetus of that to clown on uh, T'Challa's characterization. And like, you know, they forget that's not what the the meme means. The, yeah. the stance <laughs> is correct. Yes, you know, objects should go back to their point of origin. You yeah. know, yes, if you if there is this catastrophic this catastrophic event in which half of the universe's population is instantly gone and they're gone for five years and the borders you know are just these lines on paper that don't mean anything and things resituate and um you want to keep this you want to keep what has happened you want to keep the present present you don't want to bring the past back into it just because it's status quo yeah you know, there needs to be, you know, things need to happen. Yep. The stance is correct. The actions are not. Blowing up, you know, a building and killing people isn't correct. Mm-hmm. You know, the loss of life is not correct. Yeah. John Walker killing somebody in the middle of the street in front of a bunch of cameras is not correct. Yeah. You know, yeah. but the positioning can still be discussed and worked towards. Yeah. That's what the message is, you know? Yep, because it's art. <laughs> and it's not a <laughs> fucking documentary. John Walker is not a real uh, super soldier who murdered somebody with an American flag shield. That scene was there so we can talk about, holy shit, this has happened how many times <laughs> a day? <laughs> Since... Uh, the last hundred years, <laughs> like how often has this happened right. at home and abroad? Um, that's the point. Like that's, that's the point. Um, is it weird that John Walker just gets kind of gets a clap on the back from Bucky at the end? Yep. Bucky, yes. Bucky, that's also the point. <laughs> who murdered a bunch of people himself and is not the person who is the last person <laughs> to judge. If you wanted somebody there to make like an asshole remark, then have Star Lord show up. <laughs> Star Lord rocket on his shoulder, talking yeah. shit. Yes, yeah. That's what you. That's what you wanted. Like if you wanted that kind of smarmy reaction. And hey, like I thought Wyatt Russell crushed it. And I, Jeez. yes, I I don't know anything about U.S. Agent as a character. I really hope we get to see him on the big screen and interact with other with other people. 
mm-hmm. um, because like I'm I really want to see how people react to to Sam showing up with the shield and the wings. Um, I want to see. I want to see Bucky go back to Wakanda. I think that'd be really cool. Um, mm-hmm. And I want—I <laughs> want to see people dealing with with John Walker. Who, like, speaking of making the villains have making you feel uh, uh, some kind of way about them, like I thought they did a great job with his his POV mm-hmm. through this. And, like he, yeah. he could have easily been like an '80s heel pro wrestler. Oh, easily. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, that that wink that he did at the end of episode one. It's like, what? Oh, that's yeah. just perfect. That is, you yeah. hate him instantly. Hated but him you, immediately. But, but the fun part is you also understand. Yeah. You understand yeah. where he's coming from, you know? Oh, yeah. The, the scenes with him and Lamar talking about, you know, their, their time in Afghanistan. So we see how John Walker is a creation of of the country he wants to serve, um, but the moments with Lamar and with uh, Lamar's parents after he, when he when he goes to explain uh, that Lamar was murdered, um, mm-hmm. you don't get scenes like that with a two dimensional villain. Like we, right. and that's what we, we wouldn't have gotten that ten years ago. You know, no. um, the stuff with with his girlfriend. Which, by the way, is she somebody? Like, does she become a character? Uh, I think they just had her as his as his wife. Yeah, okay. just in the show. Yeah, I don't. Oh well, John Walker. Um, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Because it felt like they were setting her up to be somebody. Like I, I like not knowing how anything about Walker's character. Like halfway through, I was like, some shit's gonna happen to him, and then she's gonna like take up as like a as a villain. Yeah, in the comics. Um, and I and I don't know what what, what the MCU is going to do. In the comics, they they murder his family, mm. and that's what sets him over the edge. In the show, he killed the Flag Smasher, mm-hmm. and that kind of set him on the path to be U.S. agent. So, in the comics, it was they murdered Walker's family, and he absconded as Captain America to become U.S. agent. So, I don't know what they're going to do. Very similar to the Punisher. Yeah. So I don't I don't know what they're gonna do with with her in in the MCU because again that's a they do this in the show or in the movies that's gonna be a dark take mm-hmm. um, because you already you already seen this foundation shift mm-hmm. with Lamar that was you know that's all the that was the impetus there mm-hmm. um, so I don't know I don't know how far they're gonna go. Because yeah. they're setting up a lot of dark stuff. Yeah. Like like with Lamar, I was thinking, like Clay Bennett did such a good job as Battlestar that I'm like, well, shit, they already they already introduced Deathlock in in the MCU because uh Agents of Shield does count mm-hmm. <laughs> as a Marvel <laughs> show. And it is in what passes for canon, even though Everything's canon because everything's been created, and yeah. unless you have a time machine to delete it, yeah. And you can, you, and, if you, you don't like something in canon, you can just be like, "I, I don't want to acknowledge this." And everything's in use until they they absolutely do not use it. Let's put it that way. So, uh, so Deathlock is is in in the MCU as a Shield creation, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, I was like, "Oh no!" Like, in order to appease Walker. Like who has, who has 
Battlestar's remains. Mm-hmm. And what did he sign over mm-hmm. in the role of Battlestar? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We just saw, we had a whole show about <laughs> an organization retrieving remains yep. for, for government use. What happens on the other side of this thing? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, like, do, do they use him as a new Deathlock in this uh, this Thunderbolts, Dark Avengers, whatever the hell they're about to do, Freedom Force, whatever, whatever they're going to call it? You know, it this can go really dark really fast. And I wonder, again, you know, as part of what they're setting William the Groundwork for here, when does Sam make that decision? Uh, to form a new Avengers team. And if he does do it, is it his call to make? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Because they got to counter what's cooking over in the corner, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, whatever, whatever is happening there, right? Um, it, it's just, it's really interesting how they have how they're how they're setting up everybody kind of being flung to all four corners of the world um kind of doing their own thing and nobody's doing well <laughs> right right um and it'll be interesting to see what the impetus is to bring them back yeah i think like we've learned that nobody's ever really dead <laughs> in in a disney property right <laughs> in yeah general. so having lamar come back i mean i would bring lamar back as the winter soldier <laughs> <laughs> And and have that as as Walker's, uh, I think that would be fascinating to see how a guy like John Walker handles his friend being brought back to life as an evil killing machine when he himself is borderline an evil killing machine. You know, I think that would be that'd be interesting. Not knowing anything about um, what happened in Agents of Shield or, or or any of the any of the backstory stuff, um, but it, like I wanted to say, it was another thing that the show did really well, I think in terms of uh, the intersection between race and imperialism is we have Isaiah talking about how the military uh, used and abused him, right? Yeah. Prisoner and he was experimented on and everything else. And then uh, Lamar is murdered in, um, on, on a, at best, <laughs> very suspect mission. Um, well, yeah, they were advised to stand down. Yeah. And, repeatedly. And and we hear his, <laughs> his parents just sobbing about how proud they were of him and uh, how proud he was to serve alongside Walker. And he was proud of everything they did in Afghanistan, which is um, dubious, <laughs> I think. Yeah. And so, like, it, it, was, it was interesting to see because, like, talk about feeling... Uh, guilty about liking Zemo, right? Like, you understand a mother's grief when her son was murdered, but then hearing that other stuff is like, well, I don't know. <laughs> like, with, with, with what we know about what Lamar was doing, is this really something that you should be proud of? But of course, a mother is going to be proud of her son. Yeah, well, I think that so they're a really, part, really cool balance. Yeah, they're kind of hit at the fact that they weren't straight with everybody. Yeah, like, like only Lamar and 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 John knew what they did. Yeah, oh, and they yeah. they did some heinous shit. You can tell by that conversation, man. Oh yeah, no, I uh, yeah, and and we know that he's such a a scumbag that whatever. I'm sure there's a deleted scene where he's just like feeding Lamar's parents just a load of shit about about what happened. Yeah, 
and, and who was responsible and everything that Carly did. And I remember her name that time. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I thought that I thought that was a really. I don't want to say like a a loop or something like that, but but kind of right. Um, seeing Isaiah, who had who was an old man who had been through it all, and then uh, sort of comparing that with Lamar, who lost his life very young, um, and what the system ultimately did to to two black men. Um, right. I thought was really a cool bit of storytelling um, yeah. that I, I wish people would appreciate more if they would take the time to think about this show as a, a six hour long character study and not right. yeah. the gospel according to you. Well, I, I don't see you. And that's, and that's far like, cause I, I mean, I, I blow up your phone and, and your, your IRC messages a lot, basically because I don't, I'm kind of like slowly realizing that I'm not the target audience of this stuff. I mean, I am to a degree because I like this stuff, right? Because we're not 55 yet. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're holding on to the 18 to 55 demographic. We still got 15 right. years. But, but uh, as, as far as like my reactions to this stuff go, it's like I can, I can forgive a lot because I know exactly how hard it is to get this stuff made in the first place. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and like, you know, same thing with you, you know, but yeah. like, so I, I think, I think people like, I don't know what it is. Either it's either we're in like this weird focal point of, uh, communication and immediacy mm-hmm. of media, right. Where we're expected to be catered to yeah. at all times and, yeah. you know, have our entitlement, fulfilled at the press of a button because of streaming purposes or whatever. Yeah. Anything we want, either we think it can be accessed or we think we should have it. Yeah. And that doesn't carry over to TV and film. Yeah. Because it's the creation of someone, someone else. Just because we press play doesn't mean we're going to have our whims catered to, you know? And I think that, uh, that gets lost when we talk about this stuff. It, it, it kind of loops back to you know what I brought up at the beginning is that we don't talk about the actual you know makeup of this media. We talk about the responses to it. Yeah, and you know in that regard, I kind of want to bring up Sharon Carter a bit more mm-hmm. because well, let's just start with the, with her actual arc here. What do you think about? the turn with her being the power broker. And do you think uh, that it was meant to be this big secret or that it's just natural for the story they were telling? I had honestly forgotten about that subplot (laughs) because it it never struck me as like a big thing that was meant to be resolved this season. Right. And I, and I don't think that it really was right. Right. Don't know. We don't know anything that she's really doing specifically or, or who she's worked with besides George St. Pierre. <laughs> right. Um, I, I thought that that was included because it was an action show mm-hmm. and they, they wanted to have her in, in some, as a, as a cameo in some way, because the fans expect there to be cameos. And I think that the, 
the strength of the MCU. Well, I think the thing with the MCU is that if, if something's not working, we can throw another character in mm-hmm. and we can trust the actors enough that uh, whatever we write is going to, is the actors are going to be able to carry it and make it work. Um, so I think she was there because there, there had to be a cameo. Um, they needed another supporting actor to kind of help out Sam and Bucky. So I think that she filled that part really well. Um, I don't know who else they could have put in. I mean, they had Torres um, and he was, he was pretty cool. I liked him as like a fresh faced. Um, he was kind of dorky <laughs> for, for an army guy. Um, but I, I, I thought that was kind of refreshing and not like a hoorah jarhead kind of type. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was cool to see him working with Sam and I wish they would have done more with him. Um, but they, they still needed somebody who could be like kind of sketchy to help them out. And, and she filled that, that purpose. Um, I, I don't know the, the name, the power broker, it, it sounded to me, honestly, like something that would happen in a Bioware game. Right. <laughs> it was like, which I, I love the bio. I love mass effect and dragon age as, as you know. Um, but like one of the things that they do in those games is really, uh, telegraph <laughs> what a character is going to be, what their role is with a, a title like that. Right. And sometimes it has a double meaning like shepherd, um, other times less so. And so that's what, I mean, that's what it reminded me of, mm-hmm. um, her in that part, like, I don't know if it's something that came up on, on agents of shield or whatever. I was a little surprised that she was, she was doing this. Um, I thought it was cool. Like the scene in the, on the dock when they're looking for the lab and kind of the maze of the shipping containers. Um, I thought that was really cool when she, she disarmed the, the people coming to kill that doctor. I thought that was, that was pretty spectacular. But then the reveal at the end, like I said, when she when she took off that false face, first I thought it was a scroll, mm-hmm. and then it was her. And then I was like, "Wait, is she a scroll? That doesn't make any sense. It's just like future tech." Um, the re- the reveal, um, I thought it was. So what I liked about it was that they they managed to pull it off the, the timing of it, such that neither Sam or Bucky knows what happened. Like they know, they think that she got shot by, by Carly like, and that's it. You know, um, they don't, they don't know why other than that. Carly is the bad guy. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't anything that like blew me away. Um, but but to like to that end, um, action shows are not things that I would typically seek out to watch. So um, just just as like as that, I'm not trying to like be negative about it. It's just action shows are not typically my my thing. I watch this because this is MCU, and like I'm I'm an MCU fan now. <laughs> <laughs> so like there's there's no prestige series on Disney Plus with this stuff. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna watch. You know. Right. Unless it is just going to be six weeks of blowing up terrorists, like, I'm not. I'm not into that. Right. <laughs> I don't. Know, what did you think of her? Like, I, it felt like there's more than what's happening on screen. Yeah, it's obvious to the point where they're still hiding what they're really going to do. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Um. 
because the turn and like I, I saw some responses like that it it did the character dirty or it failed, and it's like again you know it, it becomes the, it's that 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 weird fan gray area that that makes me think I'm too old, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because because uh, the the selling point of the stuff for me now is how it all moves towards really big swings in the future. Yeah. You know, and we're just getting started as far as what we're setting up as far as, you know, the actual big storyline. Like, you know, like the, the whatever the big Infinity War slash Endgame level thing that they're going to pull off mm-hmm. in five to seven years, you know? Yeah. What's, what, what does that really look like? And this stuff is all texture for whatever's coming, you know. Yeah. So I can take, I can take like a fumbled or stilted reveal of Sharon as the power broker because we don't know what the end result story is yet, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess it just didn't occur to me that I should view it as like a finalized product. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, it's obviously not the end of her arc. We don't know who, like I said, we don't know who she was talking to on the phone. Yeah. We haven't had a chance to see any kind of monologue from her. If so, she is this villain now. She's going to have a James Bond villain speech at some point explaining right. uh, she's, she's bitter because of whatever happened with the, the blip. <laughs> uh, she's bitter about... Uh, Maybe, maybe she's mad at Steve Rogers, right. <laughs> you know, which would make perfect sense. We don't know what her memories are of Steve Rogers, yeah. you know, um, which is something that it's like the MCU sort of Luke and Leia moment a little bit <laughs> an overlook that she would have memories. Would she have memories of like being in love with him, but then also growing up with him as her, her weird like uncle or whatever. Yeah, we don't, we still don't know exactly. Uh, we don't know but, how Steve affected the timeline. Yeah. And so maybe that's why she's like this. Maybe this is a result of, of, of that. It's some cosmic thing bouncing out. I don't know. Um, it, uh, I, I guess I'm curious to see if it's something that does jump to the, to the films. Um, Cause she was only ever, well, only, I mean, she's a supporting actress and a, or supporting character in, in a, f- a few major superhero movies. She was, but she was always like a sort of like a C level character. I think, you right, know, yeah. Yeah. she was, you know, she was supporting it at, the, at one of the lower rungs and not necessarily. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's not an Avenger shield. Hasn't been a thing right. for a while. Um, so she's just kind of this almost like a loose end, I guess. And so it's interesting. Like they're they're doing something with her. Um, we get a, a now two women as villains, um, mm-hmm. who for all we know have very good reasons to be villains, and and whose anger uh, or motivation or whatever is um, completely justified. And I'm 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 curious to see what like where it goes if she's in Captain America four, um, and this ends up just being sort of like a, an extended prequel <laughs> to that. Um, or, or what? Like I, you know, the more I think about it, the more, the more excited I am after WandaVision and now this for what, 
what's coming, and, and presumably, like we're, we'll be gushing about Loki on here in a couple of months too. Um, that like everybody's so far flung. I mean, that was like the magic of the first Avengers was how they brought these heroes together who had had no real reason to interact. Um, and you know, we and also I think with the civil with civil war, um, had no reason to interact, and this this one conflict brings them together. Uh, into this this big battle mm. now that the biggest battle possible <laughs> has happened uh now twice right everybody's gone to retreat to their corners um incredibly damaged uh there's no character that made it out there's nobody who walked away from tony stark's funeral uh <laughs> in a better place right <laughs> a better place yeah yeah, yeah. And I wish people would would understand that about this. Like, if that's how the if that's how art and storytelling was supposed to work, uh, Tony Stark would be alive, and that guy wouldn't have had to spend how many, how many thousands of dollars on this really misguided attempt um, to get to get a character back. I mean, if you want yeah. Tony Stark back, watch watch the Iron Man movies, and Tony Stark <laughs> is alive and well again. He's right there. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, and like. Like you said, like does Sam make the call to reform the Avengers? Who is who is in the Avengers now? You know, um, I have no idea. I thought, and to the to that Avengers point, I thought that it was very interesting. But they stressed the fact that both Sam and Bucky realized that they were coworkers. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like they were in you finally see the inkling mm-hmm. of them moving towards, you know, this, this family unit. Yep. With, with Bucky being included yep. in, in Sam's family. You know, we were, we were joking about how uh, we were talking about how, uh, <laughs> how you, uh, you were in a talk with Malcolm Feldman and yep. you brought up lethal weapon yep. with this. And then I said, you know, do we get the moment where Bucky, you know, he pretty much gets invited to Christmas dinner with Sam's yeah. family. And we got this big ass cookout, yep. you know, on the dock. And it's like, okay, we got know, it. We got this moment now where it's established that, you know, for better or for worse, Sam and Bucky are pretty much fa- family at this point, you know, yep. or at least, you know, serve as a family unit uh, to each other, you know, at least for Bucky. You know, Bucky has has this. Uh, relationship that he did not have yeah you know i think was a good like i'm i've become very sensitive to how children are used in in films because it's it's always as a prop right because kids mm-hmm. are uh, basically as a rule terrible actors um and you don't you don't want to center a, a child you don't you don't want to put too much responsibility on a child actor especially in stories like this and it so it bugs me in like the horror movies where kids are used very obviously as a way to manipulate the audience <laughs> into feeling even more scared, right? I hate it. I hate it um, immensely. Here, I think it worked really well because having like that part, I've I've already watched a couple of fan made like Bucky tribute videos popped <laughs> up on YouTube just yesterday, um, and that part where he he shows up to the cookout and he's got the cake. And he's got like the kid, the kids hanging off his arm, and he like roars back with the cake, <laughs> makes like the mad, like the mad aggressive face. But he's like obviously just playing with them. 
that that worked wonders, I thought. And and also the part in the montage where he's got his arm out and there are like three kids hanging on the metal. Yeah. I've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> With a non-metal arm. Uh, yeah, until we get more into the future and I get <laughs> slowly replaced by cybernetics. Uh, <laughs> like that was incredible. And to, to, to go back to the introduction of him, when we first see him and Steve is like Bucky and he's like, who's Bucky to go from there or even in like the first Captain America movie where he's just this suave, uh, soldier and <laughs> really caught up in like the, the, um, the glamor, the wartime glamor, right? right. Yep. To, to, to take that guy, then that kid, then to flash into this, this future with all of the dark stuff that Bucky's been through, um, at the cookout, <laughs> I, I think was probably on purpose for like a, no. a cultural reference that Bucky got invited to the cookout, <laughs> right? With with those kids uh, that he has no connection with, other than that they're you know his his friends' uh, nephews, right? Yeah, um, and he's playing with them, and he's letting them like hang on his metal arm. <laughs> And is not annoyed or rough or anything about it. He's taking it in stride like, you know, any uncle would. And it's, it is incredible. Like I, I loved, I loved that part. Uh, That that might've been one of my favorite parts of the, of the show, especially as like a, as a balance to the, the shield, the blood on the shield scene. Like we Mm -hmm. got those two scenes in this, um, in this series. And I think, people really need to appreciate yeah. <laughs> appreciate that um that that incredible character work yeah and like i hearing malcolm Spellman mention lethal weapon and more than just like a buddy cop black guy white guy <laughs> thing oh and as an aside, uh, there is a montage on YouTube of all of the times Murtaugh says rigs throughout, <laughs> throughout the entire series. <laughs> I've been, yeah. I got meaning to tell you that. I found it. Uh, I, I was looking up Lethal Weapon clips um, for research purposes. <laughs> and lo and behold, I got a six-minute montage. Riggs! Yeah. <laughs> Come <Yes>. on, Riggs! <laughs> That's that's wonderful. <laughs> Anything to recognize the greatness of Danny Glover in that role <laughs> or Predator Two, I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah, and imagining Sam become, <laughs> becoming Roger Murtaugh is kind of funny, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but like, it's a good, it's a it's a good parallel, and like the dialogue. I mean. That's the that's the real parallel is the the banter between Riggs and Murtaugh and the banter between Sam and Bucky was like you could tell that Malcolm Spellman must have like he and his his writing room must have binged those movies or had them on repeat to try to nail that tone yeah because um, it, it's very clearly there um, and even just like the the little bit of a parallel you know between Sam and and Murtaugh is like cops and then Bucky and Riggs as like kind of crazy <laughs> like and, and ways to balance that although obviously Bucky and, and Riggs are, are very different characters and, and very different actors yes they're, the ways that they're I, I, I even am kind of uncomfortable saying crazy um, the ways that they 
are depicted as that uh, mm-hmm. certainly vary, but it worked like it 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 was wonderful um, and i i don't i guess when we when we talk about like the fans' reaction to stuff. I don't know what the fans want. <laughs> I yeah. think, and, and you know what? I don't think they know. And I, I saw somebody say that, like, I think some of these takes, the discourse such that it is, oh, and like a, a Heckmouth spinoff, by the way, if we want to continue just focusing on Disney stuff, I think we should have a project called The Discourse. <laughs> hey, that's sold on the name alone. <laughs> the Discourse. Yes. So once we get the website up and running, uh, there's there's the Disney section. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it, I, I saw this and I think there's some, some something to it that a lot of these hot takes are really the result of the pandemic and people being... Uh, people going crazy. Right. <laughs> this episode tonight almost didn't happen because my neighbors are setting off fireworks uh, at the end of April. <laughs> There's no reason to be setting off uh, enormous fireworks. It was like gender reveal party level explosions going on outside. And I think people are just cooped up and yeah. nothing's the way it was. And we're going to go outside and blow some shit up. I'm going to go on Twitter and uh, threaten Wyatt Russell's life. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm mad at how he's portraying a fictional character <laughs> in this TV show that I should not have this <laughs> level of... I mean, you can have connection star. That's what it's for. But, like, I don't know. Maybe... I, yeah, I think it's, it's, I it's, it's different. Because, like, so much of what we all do now and how a lot of people make money, unfortunately, is through engagement yeah. in general. And that doesn't necessarily have any morality to it. No, it doesn't. You know? So you can fire off whatever bigoted opinion or or, or, or spiteful opinion or whatever. And it doesn't matter as long as somebody clicks that button yep. and hits reply. That's why you know I get I get pissed when when people screenshot bigots and and retweet for the dunk. It's like oh, retweeting for the dunk is the worst thing know. ever. You don't do that. <laughs> wants you to dunk on him. <laughs> wants you to dunk on him. Yeah, stop it. And I'm like have Mark, Mark, censor <laughs> those names. <laughs> Put in yeah. like clown noises or something. So yeah. we're not even not even attached so they're like vanity searches or whatever <laughs> don't yeah. come up in this but uh it's so it's there's nothing good comes from it and you're just trying to demonstrate how smart you are and like 99 percent of the time you're not <laughs> yeah i mean nobody like nobody i think people have people want validation you know for whatever they think whatever but they have to remember that nobody is smarter than them you're always going to cater to your own ideas and your own perceptions right Mm -hmm. but the only part the problem is that this is all subjective opinionated (laughs) stuff (laughs) because it's (laughs) you know it's art (laughs) so yes you know your idea for for the x-men to come in or or uh, (laughs) what share what should have happened to share carter how she should have been treated yeah it's going to be better than what they did because it's your idea yeah, yeah, because it's, it's it's better because it's more entertaining to you, and you're you're not thinking about the wider audience. And again, uh, if you didn't like how they did it, 
write it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> write your own write your own spec script and and put it out there and and get hired uh, and get into these rooms and then make it your way, right? Or or make your own uh, uh, massive operatic superhero <laughs> series that does things your own way, you know? Yeah. Or, I mean, or just find, find that outlet. Cause like, like this stuff, we don't know it now because we're in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. But years from now, we're going to just finally start to realize how much damage we've done oh, yeah. with just our general sense of, engagement this 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 version of the uh uh not to sound like really out there but informational economy we're in Mm -hmm. you know as far as how we share information and and actually talk to one another and treat one another surround this stuff we're going to get to a point where we figure out and we realize that you know we have done a lot of damage (laughs) and we are behind in a lot of different ways as far as to where we could be. And it's not going to be a fun day. No, (laughs) it really isn't. I like, I, I actively try to improve myself. And then like I said, I, I don't want to go into academic work mode, but like I was making notes in, in France Fanon's (laughs) the wretched of the earth tonight. And I'm learning, like trying to learn this stuff. And I can tell you that like the reckoning that's going to like the, the day, that like my kids grow up and are like, dad, what the fuck happened? <laughs> what were you doing? You just made a podcast. <laughs> that was your contribution. <laughs> you and uncle Griff talking about fucking superheroes. <laughs> like, oh, well, what are you going to do? We each contribute how we can. Um, yeah, it's bad. Um, I don't know. It just reminded me of the, like, we we live in like the WC fields. <laughs> there's no like what is, what was the quote like? There's no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that. Plus, Andy Warhol have created this hell <laughs> where everybody gets 15 minutes of fame for having a really bad take, <laughs> and, and they can use it to launch a Patreon <laughs> and. And their Substack, and when things when the going gets tough, they can launch their OnlyFans, <laughs> and that's how they make money off being like whatever, like whatever the the buzzwords are of the day, yeah. uh, <laughs> to enrage people, um, <laughs> and then go home, like you know, laugh all the way to the bank. It, it reminds me of that Boondocks episode. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly what I thought about. Talking about how in in real life Ann Coulter and Mark bleep out her name too. Well, I guess it's already out there. People will know what the Boondocks episode is if they're even listening at this point. Like she's actually a really nice lady who's just a this monstrous demon on TV to make money. <laughs> yeah. We were a world like that's where we live now. And it sucks. Um but to bring it back to the show, that's why Sam's speech at the end was so necessary. Yeah. <laughs> because we yeah. have not had a superhero who cares about people, uh, who is a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> just, just not there, right? Every superhero is, is caught up in their own stuff or caught up in their relationships to the other superheroes. Because as soon as I said that, I thought about, well, what about Peter Parker? Well, 
Peter Parker ain't there yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, and, it, and the fun part is we have the opportunity to see what we've never seen in live action. And that's an adult Spider-Man. Yeah. One that's actually gone through school and, you know, is in late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we, and like, I mean, he, I guess maybe him uh, or miles, we don't have that in the, in, into the spider verse. That was not, that was not miles Morales's story in that, in that feature. Um, and so we, we need it. And it, like, in the in screenwriting Twitter, <laughs> there's there's been talk about how dystopian stories might be out. <laughs> that there's been uh, and and the comparison has been to the late 1970s, where everything like 70s era cinema is is really famous and and maybe like one of the best periods in American film history. Um, but without that era. And like a lot of the um, real life conflict coming out of like the end, well, the end of that part of the civil rights movement and the end of the war in Vietnam, uh, Star Wars wouldn't have been successful. Right. <laughs> right. As the optimistic story where the good guys win at the end. And even though in Marvel the good guys win, they never actually win. <laughs> the bad right. guys lose, but the good guys lose more. Um, mm-hmm. which is a, a very important life lesson. But I think culturally we need Sam Wilson out there being like, Hey assholes. <laughs> being like, shit, you control the banks. What are yeah. you doing? <laughs> you, you rich idiots can, can do more good with a push of a few buttons than I ever could in my, in my whole life. So, uh, quit, quit your bitching and get to work. Like people need to hear that. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think, uh, the irony of it coming from Disney is not lost on me <laughs> as much as it probably is for other people. Um, uh, especially given, well, we won't talk about that article, <laughs> that, that whole thing. Um, yeah. uh, but yeah, like maybe that's why Sam works so well as cap as cap now. Um, right. because he, he cares about people. They really leaned into the counseling thing. He really did want to save Carly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, telling Bucky that you, you want to make yourself feel better by telling people you're sorry. You have to be, you have to make people feel better and do something for them. Like that's advice that lots of people need. Yeah. Um, and, like it, I thought it worked. Like yeah. I, I think the I'm excited to see what he does next. And I, I think like if they do it right, you know, <laughs> the audience reactions to the end of of Endgame when all the all the rings open and the whole cast comes out and like the the film from inside of the theaters of people cheering and and crying and stuff. I think you could get that with like if you do it right with cap's first emergence on the big screen flying in, I think you can get um, a a pretty big pop from the crowd for that Mm -hmm. moment, depending on who he's flying in to save or or whatever it is. And it could be like a simple, like, I mean, when he, when he saves or tries to save that van or he does save that van from going over the edge, like we haven't seen something like that in a long time from our heroes. Like that was some classic Superman stuff right there. Mm -hmm. Um, even I mean, it's a van full of senators, but or like 
generic politicians, but still like people trapped in a van and hanging over the edge of a cliff, basically <laughs> like that's maybe more of a metaphor than I, I realized now that I think about it yeah. um, uh, with everything that this show had to say about government, uh, the, the senators voting to, to do this kind of vague population movement or, or resettlement camps. Yeah. And then even people were like, I don't understand why people are against the flag smashers. Like that's the point because <laughs> these people in these positions make bonehead decisions to, uh, you know, solidify, solidify their own status quo. We yeah. lived through it. We're living through it. We're living through it. Of course, you know, they wouldn't make that decision. You know, yeah. and everybody's like, you know, I don't understand why, like, that's the point. That is the point. The point is that you don't understand because nobody understands. But luckily, this is a world where superheroes exist. Yeah. Like, maybe we can nudge towards the point. Superheroes is an allegory for contemporary social and political problems. <laughs> it's not new. Like, look around at stuff that's happening and, and ask yourself, what would Sam Wilson do? You know, like it's like it's, I even it's such a basic question, but like people need apparently to to do that, you know, and hearing stories too, right, about like like back in the day, uh I can't remember if it was a you you will know. It must have been a Captain America story where like Cap goes and he humiliates the KKK and like <laughs> the direct correlation to that to that issue and and people then in real life going to bully people in the clan yeah yeah it was uh it was works, superman <laughs> superman smashes the clan yeah um yeah it was a radio show that they did on purpose to yeah. smash the clan and it worked and it and, worked you know uh, we need to see it um yeah. we need we need to see you know and it's it's really and again, you know, Zima was on point. He said, you know, the end result of this is, you know, folks becoming supremacists. Yeah. Know? And again, the irony is that, you know, this is a narcissist fascist saying this, nope. but it, because he is he is in on the game too. Yeah. And he is going to get at the end result one way or another. You know, yeah. the end result is supremacy always, but you have to root it out. Yeah. You know, in all forms. Uh, yeah. That's that's the tale here. Yeah, and it's even funny because I saw people, uh, I saw people clowning on Sam's speech, you know, and it's like, no, you know, that speech, you're not going to hear it any other way, especially from a Disney product, number one. Yeah, <laughs> and again, as the show is telling you, as Sam even told you in the speech, the end result of the other version of the speech, the next time it comes up, is assassination. Time and time again, mm. you know. Yep. So it's it's always there. I found that the show was very aware of itself. Yeah. You know, amid you know whatever uh, uh, faults and nitpicks that yeah. you can pull up, um, it knows what it's doing. Yep. It exists to tell the tale, whether people like it or not. Yeah. Yeah, and to to circle back to the faults and nitpicks, nitpicks, nitpicks thing, really quick. Uh, it, and one of the things in that in that panel that I got to see, or I mean, it wasn't a panel; he was the only person on it. The interview with Malcolm Spellman, um, talking about the importance of having the same director 
for mm. the entire series. And that was true of WandaVision as well. The same director for every episode. I, I kind of think we can draw a parallel to our, our conversation on, on tenure tracks about, about deep space nine mm-hmm. and that, you know, back then uh, that show, and I'm, I'm sure, well, I know next generation, but I, I I'm guessing there are probably tons of shows like this back then. Uh, the ridiculous pace of recording or of filming mm-hmm. um, and production um, doing 26 episodes in a, in a few months and the number of, uh, <laughs> the number of bangers <laughs> that <Deep Space> Nine <laughs> put out, uh, <laughs> in that, in that, like what had to have been a grueling, uh, pace, um, over the total run of that show. I think we have to give a lot of credit <laughs> to, to the, the writers and, and directors and, I mean, the whole production crew and everybody uh, yeah. catering <laughs> for this and WandaVision for what has to have been from conception of the show to principal photography <laughs> to the final, like, sound editing mm-hmm. and, and, like, knowing now, too, what we know about, like, how much more time i think how much more how many more hours goes into the special effects and maybe happened on like star trek and those types of shows back in the day um just as in terms of how much more sophisticated computers have been and, and expectations of the people and what you can do with all the computer stuff um had to have been a grueling just backbreaking pace yeah uh, and that we got now two shows and fully expect loki to be incredible too uh we should be so thankful, I think, uh, to the to all of the the artists and and creatives and engineers and everybody responsible for making these shows, um, and giving us so much to think about in in such or in what, like I said, must have been just a a breakneck pace. Yeah, and amid uh, the push of a of a debilitating narrative from a, a, a media standpoint because I noticed uh, at the end of WandaVision and even uh, during the tail end of this show there's like this push to to make a certain type of narrative production narrative come true uh, for instance um, people saying that WandaVision was re-edited to, because they found out spoilers about stuff that happened or that uh, Disney was going to do live editing of the shows week to week, <laughs> based on uh, based on what people were saying during the week, you know, with critical stuff. Or that uh, there was a pandemic subplot that was cut out of, of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Just like the, this, this odd sort of push, you know, the kind of bad engagement we were talking about earlier, yeah. you know. And, you know, it would just really, and this, this, is, this is a podcast about positivity and genre entertainment and other forms of entertainment, but it would really, you know, people really should take to heart, you know, the fact that these stories that people are producing are not going to be what you're entitled to, because at the end of the day, you're not really entitled to anything and you just kind of get what you get, you know, yeah, with this stuff. Nobody's live editing. Yeah, <laughs> a, a bajillion dollar company that still has like we don't know if Disney Plus 
like what the future of it is. I mean, right. so far everything's great, but you know, who knows what that looks like in five years uh, that they have invested a lot of money in making this streaming service successful amongst a lot of other streaming um, competitors. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be live editing <laughs> a show. Like, come on. Yeah. It's so, that's absurd. Just weird. Like I would see these retweets just like, and just, you know, blank ones. And again, it's it's the it's negative. It's the signal boosting, the wrong kind of signal boosting. Yeah, you know, the, for the dunk that isn't really funny. No, you know, it's <laughs> and it's not. just like it's like you you're setting. You never set the table for failure, especially when it involves enjoyment. You know. Yeah, and also is really insulting to people who do the editing. Yeah, on these things to make it sound like something that you can just do with precision in an hour. You know, and in terms of getting the the footage right and making sure that the audio is synced up correctly and uh, whatever the score, however the score drops in and like, come on. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's really something. Give me a break. It's really something. That it's such a a childish thing, which I I think that's part of of the culture of of the discourse is to have this. Uh, childish level of entitlement to stuff uh, that I I can't wait for it to go away and for people to be like I'm okay appreciating movies for what they are and I'm hoping that maybe like the ridiculous plan uh, of companies to go back and re-edit classic films to do product placement (laughs) will hopefully be the straw (laughs) that breaks the camel's back right like (laughs) <laughs> I don't yeah. want to watch Casablanca with like a very obvious like Bud Light ad in there, and I, I hope that people are like, wait, no shit, we should appreciate these things for what they are, and not like living, breathing documents that George Lucas wants them to be. Yeah, that's, like, that's... Kind of George Lucas thing that that goes back to like Tennessee Williams, <laughs> you know, going to see his own play and thinking like, shit, I don't like that, and then rewriting the ending for the next night, like. <laughs> You can't do that in a in a in a digital world. Like it, it's out there, and it it is what it is. And appreciate the art and yeah. all of the effort that went into it, and the enjoyment that you get out of it. Uh, if you're still well, for lots of people who are still quarantining and stuck inside and trying to get through, when <laughs> for many people has been the most difficult year of their lives. Um, maybe don't use this as an opportunity to shit on. The hard work of other people. Yeah, no, it's a revolutionary thought to be like decent and don't. I don't know. Don't threaten Wyatt Russell's life. Yeah, don't don't do that. Don't really. He's, so hey, he's Kurt Russell's son. Why would you do that? Liquid <laughs> from Arrested Development. I didn't realize it. My wife and I were watching it, and I was like, "Holy shit!" It's John Walker. What's he doing out there? <laughs> It's like a tiny little, tiny insignificant role. Um, so, is there anything else we want to we want to say about Captain America and the Winter Soldier? Um, what a great uh, origin for for this version of Sam Wilson as, as Captain America. Yeah, um, yep. just phenomenal. Uh, um, these these Disney Plus shows. 
uh, really cement the fact and really show just how wonderful uh, Marvel's characterization can be when they have the time to do so. And uh, I, I hope people keep in mind that these are supposed to be television shows. Like I saw a very prominent writer continuously refer well, you know, if this is a movie, it'd be top three. It's like, it's not a movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a TV show. Yeah. It's, um, you know, of, I mean, it, it's a format universe, unto itself. The universe is in the, is in the name of the, of the brand. Like you can differentiate between what a television show can, can and cannot do. What a movie, what a feature length film, even a three hour one can right. and cannot do. Uh, what the forthcoming like animated stuff <laughs> can and cannot do. Oh man, and and the the reaction to some of the what if stories, I bet are going to be just <laughs> incredible. Yeah, <laughs> from folks who take it take it literally and are like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's not right. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what happened. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, like that echoes the feedback to the Mandalorian. <laughs> Not to bring up this whole this whole hornet's nest. <laughs> Mandalorian is its own thing. The animated stuff is its own its own thing. Like you can do stuff in an animated feature, and we'll we'll see that with uh, what if and what I'm sure I'm sure that. Uh, in house, they're probably working on some some animated stuff for the MCU too. Mm-hmm. Seeing the popularity of of uh, Into the Spider Verse, <laughs> I, I have to imagine there's something like that happening. Uh, yeah. uh, if they don't just buy Sony and and risk antitrust suits to <laughs> to bring that that whole world in as well, uh, which would not surprise me in the least. Uh, yeah, they they got to figure out. Her buy back spider-man all, yeah. all the way <laughs> there's, there's, there's this stuff that you can do in those mediums that make it unique like the mandalorian as a movie wouldn't would be a different thing i, I almost said it wouldn't be as good i don't know uh yeah it would pacing be, would be thing would be completely different <laughs> yeah it be, would hit differently too just, yeah yep uh Similarly, if you took Rise of Skywalker and stretch it out over six or eight hours, over two or three months, completely different thing. Totally different different experience. Um, with the ability to do character work that you don't have in, in films, typically. Um, so I, I'm really hoping it's just a result of the pandemic and once people get vaccinated and if you're listening to this at this point get vaccinated uh once we have some sense of what new normal is and people can go out to eat and go to movies and, and talk to people face to face people face to face um i hope that some of the vitriol will hopefully hopefully die down yeah i hope it's because it's been a long time a long the internet's a gross place for a long time yeah indeed but that's why we're here that's why we try to bring positive that's why we that's why we're here we're bringing the positivity to try to just make this little minuscule corner of digital fun better (laughs) yep all right we will wrap it up there griff do you want to plug your stuff real quick 
let me pl- plug my stuff. Uh, I do a podcast uh, called It's the Damage Laws, the podcast. We focus on horror movies, comic books, video games, sci-fi stuff, genre stuff. Uh, me, Carlos Rivera, Rob Christie, uh, just wrapped our fifth season. So season six will start uh, soon-ish, maybe in a couple months, maybe sooner. It all depends, but you can check that out at itsthemdamagelottas.com. I'm on Twitter at Griffmoy, where I tweet uh, uh, sporadically about video games and, and stuff I like and, and action figures and all this weird stuff. Uh, as I wait to get my second shot, so I can, I can uh, 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 resituate in whatever the world chooses to be. Yeah, uh, there you go. Um, I also have another podcast that is a, going to be uh, relaunching by the time that you hear this. Uh, it's called Untenured Tracks, focusing on public scholarship, um, a, a cause that is very important to me. Um, you can follow that show on the Red Hot Twitter machine at Untenured Tracks, or you can follow me at Hey Dr. Will, it's H-E-Y-D-R-W-I-L, for a mix of uh, radical academic <laughs> justice issues and um, gibberish. <laughs> and I have to say, uh, the last month coming out of my own pandemic kind of funk, discovering baseball, um, I'd have to say Taco Baco, <laughs> the <laughs> season 17 champs, the Los Angeles Unlimited Tacos. Um, <laughs> we'll wrap it up there because Zoom just signed me out for some reason. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Uh, take care, everybody. Be good. Heckmouth is produced by Mark Warren and is part of the Scatterbrain Radio Network. For more information, go to scatterbrainradio.com. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs>